Morning. My name's Rick, and I, I, I do only heckle Ben because he... Well, I've never heard such disdain for the ginger hair before, so I'm, I'm not very happy about that. <laughs> anyway, I, I work here at Grace Church. Um, as you've heard, I'm married to the lovely Cheryl, and we have uh, two children, a little girl who's about three and a little boy who's uh, just seven months. Um, so I'm in a very similar stage of life to a lot of the guys you've seen here today who've given thanks and dedicated their children to God. And I'm just going to take uh, 20 minutes or so uh, to look at the Bible, um, to seek some well, see what it says about parenting, which is it's good for us who are parents, but good for us uh, who, for whom God is our Father too. And I'm going to be reading uh, from the book of John, uh, chapter 14, um, in the New Testament. Um, and John, uh, the author of this book himself, uh, he's a very, very close friend of Jesus. I think if we can say such things, if Jesus had a, a BFF, uh, John would have had a decent claim at being that. Um, and so John's gospel is the biography of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection from a very personal eyewitness view. And uh, we pick up the story towards the end of Jesus' life. He's, uh, he's thrown a dinner party. All his mates have come. Obviously, John's there. And uh, he's landed a bombshell. He said, I'm about to go away. And where I'm going to go, you can't go with me. And we know, with hindsight, that means he's going to the cross, he's going to die, he's going to get buried, he's going to rise again, and he's going to be ascended. So we know it's good news. But for these guys, they hadn't quite got that yet. And they panicked. You know, a lot of them gave up jobs. They certainly gave up their lives to to follow this man. They really liked him. He was a good good crack. And they also had some sort of suspicion that maybe he was a god or something. They're not quite sure about that yet. But he's going away. And, uh, and actually, John uses the word orphans. They feel like orphans. They feel insecure. They feel like those who've been abandoned, those who've been left behind. And so it's, it's with that feeling that we start today. We pick up in verse 8. As Philip, one of uh, Jesus' friends, says to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough. Show us the Father. That's enough for us. Because an orphaned heart, an abandoned heart, cries out for security. Cries out for a dad. Which is who God is. Which is why we look at this. Because there there are plenty of books in Waterstones and other places about parenting... And they're very good, I'm sure. But while the Bible doesn't have too much to say about potty training, if I want to know what it's like to be a dad and the best version of being a dad, I'm going to look at my Father in heaven. <coughs> and so this is, this is what we're looking at today. And the first bit of parental advice we, we get from this passage is that God is patient. <laughs> See some parents going, oh... <laughs> Yeah. By the way, so much of this message today, uh, <laughs> it's hurt my heart. <laughs> God is patient. Philip says to Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And we'll come back to that in a sec. But suffice to say, Philip doesn't fully understand Jesus yet. 
He doesn't get it. He's got a lot to learn, just like children. This is, I tell you, what, I've been a parent for three years. I have learned one thing. Kids have a lot to learn. They don't know anything. <laughs> you know, they're first born. You even have to slap them on the bum so they learn how to breathe. Then it's, then it's drinking. How elemental is that? Then sitting, standing, walking, talking, reading. It goes on and on and on. My, my little boy at the moment, he's, he's starting to eat. Um, actually, eating, he's pretty good at. Uh, he is the king of the breadstick. <laughs> but uh, where it's gone wrong is, you know, we're good parents. We don't want him to choke. And so we've given him a Tommy Tippy, a little, you know, drinky sippy cup, so that uh, he has some solid and some liquid. But the problem is he can't hold it the right way up or chooses not to. I'm not sure. I think he does it to spite me. And he turns it upside down and just dribbles water <laughs> all over his tray, which means the breadsticks, which he was good at, are now a slurry. And so he can't even pick those up. He undermines himself. <laughs> but what do I do? Do I chastise him? Do I tell him off? No. He's got a lot to learn. So it is with Jesus. He says, Philip, mate, you still haven't got this, have you, Phil? Okay, let me teach you. God is patient with not just you know, the things we have to learn, but the, the, who we are as well. It's not just the physical side. Um, again, my little boy, uh, a few months ago, he was quite, uh, quite young, and we had the health visit around, and they asked you know, a series of standard questions. And one of them was, does he startle at loud noises? And, and Cheryl had to answer, no. <laughs> And, you know, the health visitor is very worried. Is there a problem with his hearing? Well, context, it has been said that I'm a loud person. <laughs> you may have experienced some of this this morning. <laughs> I'm loud when I speak, when I sing, when I'm cheering on fellow redheads. You know, when I sneeze, it can be heard in Derby. And my wife and daughter aren't particularly shrinking violets either. So if my little boy startled at loud noises, he'd have nothing else to do in the day. <laughs> and so it is with God. Yet he is beyond our understanding. He's God. He's the creator. And yet Christians, his children, he patiently reveals himself, what he's like, who he is. And the glory of it is that we get to be like that too. He's also patient when we do stuff wrong as well. Because we need to remember that God is our creator. We are his creation. The Bible uses the image uh, of a potter and, and some clay uh, to help us understand this. Does any, this is a question. Does anyone watch the great pottery throwdown? One. Because you know what? I'm all for the sewing bee. I quite like the bake-off. I love Great British Menu, but pottery I cannot get on with. But anyway, it's on. Um, Channel 4's choice, I guess. Um, and, but what happens is, you know, a potter will make something out of clay. If it goes wrong, they don't just keep working on it until they fix it. They chuck it away and start again. That's the image we should have of the creator and us, the creation. When we do stuff wrong, actually, well, God doesn't cast us off. Because he is our Father, and so he's patient with us. And we are hardwired for doing stuff wrong. I don't know if you'd realize this, but again, seeing young children uh, 
just disobey me, has, uh, has taught me this. About 18 months ago, uh, it was summer, and um, we had a little strawberry patch, um, and we had a nice red strawberry coming out. And I said, I've got my little girl. <laughs> I said, come on, you, you, you'll really like this. I went over and I showed her, and I picked the strawberry, and I gave it to her, and she ate it. She absolutely loved it. And so she reached out for the next strawberry. But it's green. It's not ripe yet. So I go, OK, no, don't touch the other strawberries. So she goes and reaches for the green strawberry. I say, no, don't touch them. They're not ripe yet. We do this several times. In the end, she gets the idea. And so I was like, well, that's OK. Every time we get a red strawberry, I'll take it out, and I'll get it, and I'll, she can have it. The problem was that year, we got no other strawberries. I know, it's really sad. <laughs> maybe, the, maybe the squirrels got them. I don't know. At the same time, this other phenomenon was happening, that she'd come in from the garden with mud on her face. I wonder if you see where I'm going with this. Because we rumbled her one day when we saw her by the strawberry patch, hands behind her back, leaning down right into the mud, getting her mouth around the green strawberries and pulling them off. <laughs> to be fair to the girl, she didn't touch them. <laughs> <laughs> how, how malicious can you be with your disobedience? <laughs> and it's cute when they're 18 months old. It's less cute when they're three. Another thing we like to do it, together is baking. I'm no great baker, um, but it's a fun thing to do together. And for life of me, I don't know why, but she looked at me the other day and she was baking. She scooped out some flour and chucked it on the floor. I said, no, don't do that, please. And what's her response? She looks me in the eye. She gets the spoon, <laughs> scoops out the flour, and chocks it on the floor. And when she does stuff wrong, there's a consequence. Yeah? Whether it's an inherent consequence, like green strawberries don't taste very nice, or an imposed consequence, like, actually, I'm going to have to put you in time out now. Or, you're not going to get to bake with me anymore, and that's sad. But when the consequence is paid, all she has to do is she say, I'm sorry, Daddy. I give her a big hug, and I tell her I love her. And it's all done. And that's similar with God. Because one way or another, we've all disobeyed our Father in heaven, whether consciously or unconsciously. And our punishment is to be separated from God, to not know our Father, like some sort of eternal time out. But this is the good news of Jesus. That when he went away, as he told his disciples, as he went to the cross, he took that punishment, our punishment, though he'd done nothing wrong himself. On the cross, he knew separation from the Father and, was, and died and was buried as a consequence. In a very trite way, it's a bit like if my little girl chucks flour on the floor, I tell her that's unacceptable, and I go and put myself in timeout. <coughs> that's what happened. I pay the punishment. Jesus paid the punishment. And so that all that's left to do is for us to say sorry, to acknowledge that, yes, I did do something wrong and be brought back into the relationship with our Father.
He is so patient with us. He doesn't cast us aside, but welcomes us back. He's also present. God is present. He's in the room, which is our second parenting tip. We read on. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father, says Jesus. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Anyone confused? Okay, here is a 10-second theology lecture on the doctrine of the Trinity. Are you ready? There is one God. Say it with me. There is one God. God. He's in three persons. persons. And they're all God. God. Got it? No, you haven't. (laughs) How can that possibly be? One is three. It doesn't even work on my fingers. Actually, we don't have to worry about that too much. I think, actually, sometimes the ununderstandable stuff about God kind of makes him God to begin with. If I, a mere human, could understand him, he probably wouldn't be worth worshipping. <laughs> but uh, if I am going to believe in God, I kind of want him to be better than me in every way possible. <laughs> don't you? Yeah. Anyway, but it is worth looking at the Trinity because it actually helps us understand the Father better. Another part of the Bible, also written by our friend John, uh, says that God is love. Maybe you've heard that. God is love. But that only works if he's got something to love. Or someone. Because love is always external to ourselves. You can have parent, child, love. You have husband, wife, love. You have love between friends. You have sacrificial life, uh, love like Jesus did, giving your life for someone else. If God wasn't Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, and he was just a single person, he could not be defined as love until he created something. But God is eternally love. Forever and ever, the Father has loved the Son. And the Son has loved the Spirit. And the Spirit grows the Father. And it goes on and on and on. God did not create in order to love. God is love. And in love and out of love, he created us. Which is actually just like us and our children. Between the love of a mother and father, a child is born. Another great thing about the Trinity is that what Jesus says here to Philip, if we want to know what our Father looks like, we look at Jesus. In the person of Jesus Christ, our Father God was present amongst his people. So it's no wonder they felt like orphans when he said he was going away. My little girl uh, started nursery this week. and we'd done some trial sessions, but this week was the big one. This is when she first started. And I went and picked her up uh, on Monday evening. And uh, they told me she'd been really good. She's been such good behavior, such a charmer. And, you know, part of you is really proud. And the other part of you is like, you rat. <laughs> Why aren't you like this at home? <laughs> but the reason she's not like that is at home is because I'm there. You know, she's on her best behavior when she's with strangers. When she's with daddy, she's safe. 
She's secure. I am present. And she feels safe to push boundaries, which sometimes results in a timeout, but is generally a good thing. It enables her to test her mettle, to go further than she's ever gone before. When we know our Father in heaven, it's the same. It brings us such confidence to try new things, to push boundaries, to step out of our comfort zone. We need the security of a father to be present. And being present isn't just a physical thing. Being in the room isn't quite enough. And um, I'll be honest with you, this has been particularly hard for me to prepare this this week. Because I think about it, how often am I in the same room as my kids and not really present because I'm on my phone? When I'm wrapped up in WhatsApp, what message am I communicating to my kids? As I send the perfect selfie, what picture do I portray to them? You're not interesting enough? They're not important enough. The games you want to play are of no value. I'm at work five days a week, and if I'm not present on the other two, well, I all but orphan my children. I know that's a big statement. I know that's provocative. I know that's a challenge. But a two-year-old will become a teenager, and we can't be surprised if they don't want to engage with us then, if we haven't engaged with them now. But if, like me, this is a struggle for you, don't worry, I don't want to tell you off. There's good news. Because our Father in heaven does not orphan us. When Jesus ascended, when he rose, Jesus, who is... God with us, God who is present with us. When he did that, he sent his spirit, the third part of the Trinity, to live in our hearts. If you're a Christian, your father, God, is now present with you by his spirit forever. He is present with us now. He is patient with us too. And finally, he empowers us where we see gaps in our parenting or any other aspect of our lives, we, when we receive the Spirit of God, we are empowered to be just as perfect as he is. Our passage finishes like this, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, says Jesus, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father because I'm going to the Father, I'll send you the Spirit. Now, I don't want to brag, but if I may, I can hold my cup the right way up. <laughs> oh, yes. I can dress myself, and I can also go to the toilet all on my own. In all of these ways... <laughs> I am better than my children. It's true. But my aim as a dad is not to lord my drinking, dressing, and toileting skills over my children, but rather to empower them to do it themselves. 
And yes, that comes with patient teaching. It comes with being present and encouraging. But God goes one step further. He empowers us. Yes, we are emboldened to push boundaries when we know our dad's in the room. But when the Spirit comes and lives with us, we are empowered to do what only God can do. Jesus healed the sick, raised the dead, fed thousands, and he says, when I go, you can do the same, because the Spirit will be with you. This is a, <laughs> I've been trying to think about this. It's a bit like if I gave all of my dexterity and strength to my children. It's a bit like, you know that game where someone's got their hands behind their back and someone else has got their hands coming through here? It's almost like, hey, you're struggling with your cup. Why don't I, yep. now you get to drink. I give you my power. Oh, you're struggling to put your trousers up. Okay, help you do that. I mean, that would be weird, but that's what's going on. Our Father in heaven empowers us by putting us in new situations, in new jobs, in new locations, to help us grow, to help us test our metal, just like we do with our kids. You know, try the cup, try the clothes, try the swings, try the slide. But he goes further than that because he empowers us to complete the things he puts before us. As parents, we are to imitate our Father in heaven. We are patient with our kids as they stumble to maturity. Our presence with them brings security, and we empower them to be more than we. And these are great principles for parenthood. And if that's all you want to take from today, well, that's cool. But there's an offer here too. Because I am a grown-up, but I still need a father. I still need a dad who is patient with me as I learn, as I make mistakes. I still need a God who is present with me every single day. I still need the Spirit who empowers me to be a father to be a husband, to do my job, to do everything he puts before me. Each one of us needs the eternal, paternal relationship that God offers. And through faith in Jesus, we can have that for ourselves.